Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. Because I'm about to introduce my incredible guest tonight. It is Jennifer McGill. Jennifer began her career as a mouseketeer on the Disney Channel's all new, new Mickey Mouse Club. And she's been a professional entertainer for over 35 years, performing all over the world with artists including Christina Aguilera, American Idols, Danny Gokey and Diana DeGarmo, Carmen, John Bettis, Celine Dion, Donnie McClurkin, Boyce to Men, Ryan Gosling, Tony Luca, Alanis uh, Morissette, uh, so many more, Michael W. Smith, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Vanessa Williams. Uh, Jennifer is a speaker, singer, songwriter, worship leader, vocal and performance coach, video editor, actress, script writer, and vocal producer with over 30 years of international live performance experience. Uh, she has coached recording artists in vocal studio recording, live performance, virtual concert, and stage touring techniques. She is the president of the leading premier artist preparatory company, PCG Artist Development. Her current projects focus on teaching, inspiring, and encouraging all generations to live with genuine purpose and to train recording artists to be fully authentic and whole from the inside out. So please welcome Jennifer McGill. Hi. Hello. I'm exhausted with all of that work. Woo. <laughs> well, it sure tells me that we've got to have plenty to talk about. And I am super, I'm just very excited to talk to you tonight. I've been following you on Instagram for um, the longest time. I love so much the throwback posts that you post from back in the, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club days. I, I just, I absolutely love to see that. So I, I want to hear all about that. But uh, tell me a little more about yourself that we didn't hear in the intro. What do you have going on right now? You know, um, I'm trying to carve out some time to film me opening the package of my new sticker collection that I have, you know, just as you would have seen on Instagram or social media, yeah. I've just announced uh, the pre-sales for it. And it's arrived. And so I haven't, I've been, it's like a little Christmas present. Like I, it's sitting there waiting for me and, uh -huh. I, and I would love to open it outright, but I know it's important for me to film it because this is a big monumental moment. This yeah. is the first merch that I've desi designed like this. This is a, a collector's series and it was inspired by one of my favorite, my mother's favorite, but also a fan favorite uh, song from the new Mickey Mouse Club called, I think it's technically called Jennifer Sings the Blues. Okay. But my family always called it Stupid Costume Blues, and this is the Stupid Costume Collection 2022, made up of all the costumes I name in yeah. the, the song, and it's me in an artist rendering of, you know, we're, we're, the inspirational costumes. Uh, How fun. So these yeah. are like collector's items. Yes. It's three sheets of um, uh, large stickers, like 3.5. Uh, mm -hmm. in and so I want, you know, the, the designer of these stickers, the artist behind it is Anthony Donovan, who is a huge fan and a huge friend of mine. 
And um, we wanted them to be very large so that all of the detail and all of the art was very, uh, I would say, uh, malleable. Like you're really able to enjoy the art and the ambiance and the nostalgia it inspires. Yeah. So they are. It's three pages of stickers and there's 14 costumes and then some logos. And on the very last page, I hand number and autograph each set. Oh, and Wow off this week if you've purchased so you know it's it's ongoing until they run out we have 175 up for sale mm -hmm. um on my on my store and i'm not printing any more of this mm -hmm. exact version of the collection so this is why it's a a collector's set very cool i love that yes uh susan in the comments says that she can't wait for that yes. um and and so are they available now or is there a certain date they're available i just got them in yesterday i'm just waiting to open the box and i have to film it right so i'm just yeah. waiting but um, yeah, I just finished um, a Facebook Live concert this last Saturday. It was my Stupid Costume Blues concert. I changed it last minute because I knew from the um, from the the printers that it was that these stickers were on their way. And I'm like, okay, I can finally announce it. It's finally a reality. So I changed it, and it was such a fun concert. I dressed up in all sorts of like hats, and I wore a Wookie costume actually for the end of nice. it almost. And I sang the Stupid Costume Blues song. Um, but yeah, and, and that show, if you wanted to watch it, there, there are tickets available on Facebook because those concerts stay. And okay. um, if you buy a ticket, you can watch it at any point. But those who purchased the stickers that evening through the live show and through that evening, um, they're automatically getting, you know, entered into next month's concert VIP, like pre-show group and for a chat room. And so it, 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 there were a lot of perks um, for, for being part of my unbreakable family. And uh, yeah, so they are available now. And as soon mm -hmm. as you buy, I'll be able to send you your set. Fabulous. How very cool. Um, yeah, I went ahead and I posted up your links in the comments. So um, that should be available to everybody. Okay. And uh, it's just so I don't neglect the comments over here. We've got um, Carrie Muldering. And she says, hi, Jen from Carrie and Papa Ted. We've right. got Susan. Uh, hi from Bella T and me too. And, uh, and Carrie also says, me and Papa Ted are sending you lots of hugs. And Carrie says the concert was the best. It was kind of, it was kind of the best yeah. one. Like I have, it's the best is when you have your friends come over and help you. They're all your like stagehands and props, mm -hmm. costume mistresses and all of that. So yeah, uh, it's always more fun with other people enjoying. And we even had an audience member, one of my neighbors got to come over and, and hang out. And that's really the best. I mean, I, I did these concerts pre-COVID. Um, or let me think about, yeah, I, I think I started these concerts pre-COVID and then, you know, everything kind of stopped for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I came back in and it was kind of all clear, there was a group of us that just decided to sort of stay, stay safe together, I guess. And so they, okay. they would come for the concerts, uh, 2020 into 2021. And it was really fun. Uh, very, very fun to like kind of have the after party in your home. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was a blast, but this was sort of a shout out kind of a throwback idea, bringing more people back in to the live concerts. And it was, it was really enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what, I, I mean, if there are, you know, I'm, there's many silver linings that came from the, the COVID era, I guess, but I really think one of those things is just the, the, you know, the takeoff of live stream concerts and, and how many artists recognize that as a whole new platform for them and they're carrying it into you know today so it's like we've got the live performance space available to us and we've got the internet and we can do it from our home and how easy is that <laughs> I, 
Love that. I do love that. I've always loved to travel, but I didn't know how well I would do working from home until I was sort of forced to do that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm very territorial about not giving it up. So I do love a good (laughs) virtual concert because that means I don't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Will you be doing another one anytime soon? Yes. Um, I haven't announced it outright, but it will be in the middle of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be a Thanksgiving theme for sure. And everybody loves the Thanksgiving theme. And I will say in advance to remind everyone from my family, from my unbreakable family, we will have the unbreakable family Christmas tree again this year mm-hmm. with all of the 2021 ornaments um, that my fans sent in. Um, and you can start now if you want. My PO box has not changed. Um, I'll be making more announcements and, you know, put it in writing for you later, but uh, people can go ahead and start sending ornaments for this year to be unveiled throughout the season. Uh, if mm-hmm. they, but we'll have the unveiling of the Unbreakable Family Christmas Tree 2022 in the Christmas concerts, which yeah. of course before Christmas. Wonderful. <laughs> Very nice. Well, let's talk about Unbreakable. So that that is your latest release. Is this, uh, was this a full length album, a single, an EP? This is technically a deluxe album. It nice. is an album. It has so many songs on it. Okay. Uh, the deluxe version, and it is available on Spotify, the condensed and the deluxe version. Basically, the deluxe version has a few extra tracks that are uh, cover songs of like worship genre. And, okay. Um, and I want to say we have four of them. And so the deluxe or the the normal version of Unbreakable, um, it was released in August of 2017. And the single was also the album title, Unbreakable. And Mm -hmm. I co-wrote it with John Chisholm. And it was produced by Jeff Savage. And um, huge homage to, I would say, the power of us. And Susan, who's watching, she, uh, her family made me a bracelet that says the power of us and Mm. all about having that unbreakable, um, group, whether it's your spirituality, you know, how, how you uh, unite or, or the power of us, as far as your spirituality and your faith and what you, what and who you believe in. Um, it can also be, you know, your spouse, your loved ones, the people that if you kind of woke up on the battlefield and dusted yourself off, who would still be standing with you? Mm, Yeah. Um, and I wrote it specifically for my spiritual connections and, and my faith and who I believe in. Um, but I also made sure that it made sense mm-hmm. um, with a lot of other stories because I wanted to make sure that this album was pop inspirational um, so that it was able to be absorbed and that the messaging was able to be used by people of many faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the biggest message would be that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. That you know life is hard, but you're not alone, and you are stronger than you think. And there is life after the hit, um, and there is always hope, and there's always light and love around you. Um, and we all go through those hard seasons and those better seasons. And so mm-hmm. it is an album about um, you know being a spiritual warrior, and also understanding that there are other spiritual warriors with you. There are other representatives of light and love around you uh, to help you through the times. That it's. Mm-hmm. it's never a done deal. And um, I wanted to bring light and hope in the world. I wanted to shed light to uh, more than just one faith mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of be a beacon of, of that kind of, you know, strength in uh, the group and your family and your family and, you know, being unbreakable in more of a sense of a spiritual unbreakable, because of course our bodies can be broken and our spirits can be broken, but it's not um, permanent. Right. And I think a lot of people, when they're trying to pick up the pieces 
Um, sometimes we just feel like maybe we just have to do it by ourselves. And mm-hmm. I think part is how can we fit all of this back together if we're just relying on ourselves? And I think um, being able to reach out and understand that you don't have to put all the pieces back together by yourself is very important for a lot of people, especially during the time of isolation. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that that I wrote the album, Um, but I, you know, the the people watching, you know, especially Carrie and Susan, they, they listen a lot. And uh, this album also has the uh, redone 2017 version of hanging on for dear life which was my number one song attached to the new Mickey Mouse Club show. It was Mm my show on MMC, the album that was released in the 90s with Walt Disney Records. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a song on the soundtrack of My Boyfriend's Back. Um, And it it went a long way. And that was really the first idea way back in the day when I was like 16, 17. And we were touring and people would come up to me and say, this song helped me get through my grandmother's death. And this Mm -hmm. song bullying at school, I realized there was a a very specific type of ministry that I was able to do through my music. And this version of Hanging On For Dear Life is really the grown-up version. Mm -hmm. It captures all of the emotions that maybe I wasn't fully tapped into when I was 16 and 17. And 15 years old was when I actually sang the vocals. Mm -hmm. 90s version. And so I don't think I knew enough about life to understand how to sing that with the story behind it. And so 2017 is the nod to fully understanding what this song can mean for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was produced by, um, uh, oh, that's so funny. (laughs) I had so many ideas that I wanted to say. So uh, Jeff Bohannon and I co-produced this album, or sorry, this record, this Hanging On For Dear Life. And it was really cool because I had such a wonderful hands-on experience with this particular production because there's Jeff Savage and Jeff Bohannon. There's two different producers I've talked Mm -hmm. about. And with Jeff, it was cool because I was kind of left alone with the track and I started layering background vocals first. Mm -hmm. That's why I really felt that I was super proud of this arrangement because it's almost like I was able to create uh, a background vocal arrangement that also helped inspire the finalization of the track. Mm, I'm so excited to be that that much a part of the production of that very special song. So, yeah. oh, that made us so happy. I, I really, really, I'm so proud of that track for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's just, it's, that's, that's a beautiful story too, about a song that has, you know, really grown with you throughout the years, uh, you know, and, and something that stayed and has taken on a whole new meaning um, at this stage of life. And, and I'm sure that it's continues to touch so many other people's lives. It really sounds like it, because I can see in the comments, um, Carrie's telling us that she has an autographed and personalized copy of the album, and it's one of her greatest treasures. Um, She wore... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she says she wore her first Unbreakable album out by listening to it so much. And um, Susan is uh, glad to have the music and share it with her kids. They really they really love it. Um, and that uh, Carrie also says that that entire album has literally gotten me through some of the hardest times of my life. Yes, I, I, that's why I call my group the Unbreakable Family, mm-hmm. not just fans. And, you know, I have family but they are very much um, loved ones to mm-hmm. me. And those who love the new Mickey Mouse Club and love what it represented and, and grew up with us, I believe that we are a part of their extended family. And so to be a family member really felt appropriate, you know, so that I could, I could make it known that 
they're not they're not a stranger you know yeah. they're not a fan in the sense of there's they're removed right that they're yeah. just like um out there in the distance no they're they're very much a very important part of why i do anything that i do out mm -hmm. of, for sure like you know if i if i didn't have um that type of purpose of messaging and like you know helping to uplift people and to be able to share my life in that way i probably would just stay behind my desk and hide yeah <laughs> So my family members are very important to me. And I, and it also helps me understand um, in the quietest moments, let's say of my career, how that album um, still helps people today. Like, you know, with Carrie, when she listens, when she really needs that messaging. Mm -hmm. So I, I am constantly humbled by how certain things that I've done and, and how long it took me to get something out or, you know, all the work and all the strife and all the sweat and tears and blood and all that that went into it, how it really, it really does serve a purpose that's so much bigger and beyond myself. So mm -hmm. I am very grateful for all of my family members for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that, Jennifer. That is such an important lesson. I think that a lot of artists, um, you know, may miss at some point in their career is cultivating that connectedness, you know, with their audience, rather than it just being like, I'm the artist, you're the audience. And we have this, you know, line of separation between us, like you're, you're on a different level than they are. But, um, the fact that you, you call them a family. I mean, I love that. That title is incredible and it's, it's got to, you know, make them really feel like they are, um, well, they are, they are a part of this experience ah. with you. And, uh, how would you say you have cultivated that connectedness with them. What are some of the things that, what's some of the outreach that you use? It sounds like um, you have Christmas tree ornaments. Like what are some other things like that, that you use to make them, you know, feel part of this group? Well, I think in the beginning, um, I want to say maybe everything started with the, uh, the hand-washing videos that I did. Now I'm just talking about recently. I mean, there's this thing with the whole Mickey Mouse Club that there was all this time that we spent together before I understood we were spending time together. So mm -hmm. the show was the longest and, and most powerful catalyst for bringing people into this familial state, because not only do I see, you know, my family members as extensions of family as well and friends and all of that, but, you know, the Mouseketeers, you know, we were all in the beginning really trained to see each other as brothers and sisters, you know, an extended family. That's how the beginning episodes were run behind the scenes. It was kind of a chaotic family. And mm -hmm. so I think everyone who was connected to the new Mickey Mouse Club, um, both on our side and the opposite side of the screen, um, I've always positioned myself in that perspective, you know, that, mm -hmm. that we are all connected and we all did grow up together and we are related in that way because of our love for the show. But I, I think that one of the first things I did um, on purpose, I suppose, was I started doing these funny little hand washing videos during mm -hmm. isolation, and I would get comments on them and I'd get song requests. And so then I think like when I was really seriously putting time into my virtual concerts, then it became this exchange uh, through the live shows because there are chat rooms and um, I'm able to connect and speak back and forth with the attendees mm. and it became just this event, you know, where they were able to kind of see inside a very 
like lo low production value version of a concert. Like I actually pride myself in the joke that my microphone isn't even connected to a cord. I just like holding it. And <laughs> I run my sound from this little Bluetooth speaker and everything you see is like hand drawn and tacked up on the wall. Like it's supposed to be this very arts and crafts, approachable, kitschy kind uh -huh. of show that doesn't take itself too seriously. Homemade. Um, you know, yeah, very homemade and, and, you know, in a way, very 90s, because that's exactly, yeah. you know, a lot of the stuff that we used was like cardboard and glue, glue guns and, you know, a lot of that stuff and like spray paint or whatever. So I think that through the concerts, I was able to connect more and, you know, backing up a little bit more. I believe it all began um, when Facebook began. A lot of our Mouseketeers and extended family and fans started finding each other. Mm -hmm. on social media and so I think some Mouseketeers didn't realize how beloved the show's memory was um, for so many people out there who are now adults and yeah. so we just kind of started waking up as a community to that um, and interacting as we could and then the album came along and when I was co-writing the album I think I thought a lot about my listener I thought a lot about my own trials and tribulations but also how can I tell the listener in each of these songs, Hey, I've been there. I've done, I've done something similar. I, you know, I'm empathizing or sympathizing with what you're going through. Yeah. And here is a, here's a story that helps show you um, maybe a little bit of a snapshot that we are not so different or, you know, you're not alone or just an encouraging song um, that doesn't technically say what they're going through, but it, it, it shows up for them in their yeah. time. So I think I did dive deep into the mm -hmm. hearts of my fans, um, to the best of my ability and then promoting that album, which then, you know, through, through the times, then there was COVID and then, and then there's the virtual concert. And, and then recently I I'm doing, I'm in the middle of it. And for everyone who's subscribed, I am late on my, um, on my submissions, but I'm doing, I did a year of pen pal subscriptions. Mm -hmm. um, I offered that on my store. It's now closed. Um, but everyone who subscribed, they get a year of, uh, like one, one letter a month, right? Um, some, some of their subscriptions were handwritten letters. So we do pen paling back and forth, just mm -hmm. like, which was the original goal was to be able to write back and forth and include like a cute Polaroid and put stickers all over my mail and all of that. So, mm -hmm. um, I have many fun, cool pen pals now because of that, but I also do something called McGill musings. And that's when I type up, um, like a, a blog, I type mm -hmm. a blog and I, um, I put their name on it. I sign it, I date it. Um, and only they receive it. I don't post those blogs. It's for mm -hmm. that. Okay. Um, and you know, some of that may pour into a book someday, but I wanted even the McGill musings, um, group to have something that was really theirs. And so, yeah. um, those are the two, the, the two tiers that I've worked with. And so it, it's really wonderful to, be able to hear the heart and read from the heart um, mm -hmm. what some of my family members uh, are talking about and how like if I sent out a blog and they'll message me back and say, I read your letter and I really needed to hear that this month. Mm -hmm. and I, yeah. I, I can't describe how important that is to me. Yeah. Um, you know, wondering, okay, you know, I'm, not even am I wasting my time per se. I'm, I'm very busy, especially now that I'm president of this artist development company, which is a, a new point in my career. Um, but it's, it, it is, I always have time to be reminded that the things that I do 
help someone. It's always good. It feels good to be reminded of your purpose because life, of course, can get in, in the way and life is a lot and you have a lot of action items and to-do lists and, you know, just trying to survive the day. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like, gosh, is anything that I'm doing, you know, hitting the mark. And so I'm always incredibly humbled and excited uh, when I get those messages about the stuff that I send out, like how it's really changed someone or helped someone. And I never really think that, that I'm the person that does that. Um, you know, I, I know it comes from a higher power, but I also know, well, I'm the one, I'm the mouthpiece. Like I have to be able to say it really. And I, I want to devote enough time to make all of that hit correctly and, and to really put myself in that space and try to empathize and say something that I know I would want to hear in a similar situation. So it, it's not just a ministry that's outward. My family ministers to me as well. And mm -hmm. I, like at 90s con earlier this year in March, um, I got to see a lot of um, my family members in person. And I really felt like every, every encounter was a version of ministry where we would talk about how a lot of insecurities have come full circle and how I understand better about why I was made the way I was because it, it inspires other people in, in various ways. And I can't be mad at the way, you know, the way I am, or I, yeah. I, I can't uh, devalue the, the, the humanity and the imperfections of me as a human being, because those speak to other people and, and again, help connect me with people and different versions and walks of their journey. So mm -hmm. I'm, it's endless. Every time I hang out with fans or every time we talk, I mean, it really is this, this wonderful connection. And so Mickey Mouse Club was uh, for me, honestly, a, a, a big deal, a big through line for my entire life journey. You know, yeah. I know it was one show. I understand that. Mm. But for me, it has colored everything that has come after. And mm. I, I am definitely happy about that. Yeah, yeah. That is so remarkable. And I was just thinking, you know, I'm sure all the singers uh, and independent artists listening to this right now hear all of the various tasks that go into, you know, managing your career and the fan outreach and what it takes to, you know, build that community and um, build a community that is, is uh, loyal and trusting and loving. And um, it comes full circle because not only are you, you know, giving them something that's so valuable uh, to them, but they're, it's, they're reciprocating. It's coming back to you and it makes for a wholly um, just purposeful, meaningful career. You know, but if, I think as if it's so easy to get caught up um, trying to market and publicize yourself as, as a singer and artist, and it, it can be just exhausting, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times I think I hear so often um, singers saying like, I'm not sure anybody's even listening to me. You know, I'm not sure people even see my posts or, you know, I'm doing all this work I'm, I'm, and, and it just seems like totally, you know, fruitless, but it's very clear that what you have done, you know, you have built true community. And I, I really hope a lot of the singers that are listening will kind of take note of that. I mean, we've got comments all over the place talking about your uh, stage it and Facebook concerts, your magical McGill mail <laughs> and uh, pen pals, like you talked about. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the, uh, I think the big, the big, um, I would say the biggest trip 
or or the I'm trying to think about the obstacle or maybe the thing that we trip over um, on our sort of speedy incline towards, you know, I don't know, recognition or fame or whatever that looks like. Um, I'm sure a lot of people right now are looking at their social media numbers or yes. who check or, you know, there, there's plenty of, you know, social media landmarks that were not a situation back in the day when I was, you know, first in the business. And I think uh, TJ Fantini, the Mouseketeer, uh, said it the best at our Soul Sunday at NMC 30 in 2019, and I am paraphrasing, but he said, you know, I've, I've learned that it's best to work within your first sphere of influence. Hmm. Uh, start small, start with the people that mm -hmm. you encounter and that God puts in front of you. Start with um, your sphere of influence that is yours. Start there and then build out from there. And, you know, when you look at it from a, um, a an artist development uh, advice as well, we talk about start locally, look at your coffee shops and your churches and your venues that festivals, you know, the bookshop, um, do they do a poetry reading? Do they need special music? Like, you know, partner with people locally and then start branching out regionally, right? Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, start asking a lot of questions, you know, show up places and say, hey, I really love what you do. Are you represented by someone? Who is your producer? Um, do you write your own music? Would you like to collaborate? You know, can I open for you at some point? Like maybe not all those questions at once, but, you know, building trust within your sphere of influence and mm -hmm. the people that touch that, um, the people that you look up to. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right. And I, that doesn't give you a, a, a free pass to hound everybody. Right. However, <laughs> however, you know, like you said, building, building a reputation and building trust that also has to extend with how you do your business and how you um, connect with people in the business and how you also support them in return. And I don't mean just a follow back, right? Mm -hmm. But it's it's about, you know, if you went to their concert, you can support them and tag them. And then maybe, you know, hey, say, I'm going to support, I'm going to tag you when I get home. This is really great content. I'm so glad I was here for your show. Do you, you know, do you do other things? Do you songwrite? Would you like a partner with that? You know, you yeah. just... You want to you want to stay authentic and stay supportive, um, but a lot of times we kind of skip all that and we just want to go like all the way to the top right away. And, and everyone's top looks a little different. But um, I say in general, if you're if your goal as a as a person in the business, if your goal is to have fame and fortune, you're in the wrong business. Mm, yes, the calling. You don't make money off the front of it unless, let's say, you're an actress or an actor. Um, or a model. And of course you get paid for your gigs. Um, but when you're building as an independent business person in the recording industry, the singer songwriting industry, et cetera, you have to cultivate the branding and the culture and the reputation that you want. You know, you have to build your team. It mm -hmm. is hard and almost nearly impossible to do it all by yourself. Yes. So you've got to build your team and mm -hmm. that may take a long time. You know, now, obviously, because I'm president of an artist development company, I can go on and on about mm -hmm. all of that. But just an encouragement that if you're not seeing um, revenue in the beginning of investing in your career as a singer songwriter or um, an artist, recording artist, um, that's pretty normal. And you're going to know if you're just mad because you're not making money or if you're excited about the journey. Mm -hmm. And about building your fans and your audience and cultivating your branding and your culture, because that's the calling. 
that's the the what whether it's a ministry by by the vocabulary name or you know an extension of how you you create you are audio and visual therapy and mm-hmm. there's there's no way around that and there's there's someone who needs the angry song and there's someone who needs the sad song and someone who needs the love song and, and all of the songs and you want to build your audience who genuinely understand your messaging and appreciate who you are as your brand don't try to go conquer the world outright right uh, Mo money, mo problems. That's absolutely true. You know, my celebrity mouseketeer friends, you know, there's a, there's a lot that you can see just in the news about their highs and lows. And it doesn't get easier just because you're climbing the celebrity ladder. Um, You could do really well up there, but it doesn't get easier and um, more celebrity, more status, more visibility. It brings more opportunity for good and bad. Mm -hmm. And it also means you need a bigger team. And you don't need a team of yes men and women. You need a team of of people who will be truthful with you. Yeah. Or your goals, not their own. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That is that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Nice. Yeah. That's really that's all brilliant advice. And you're you know everything that you're saying is so in alignment with everything that the Unstoppable Singer stands for, and the fact that you know you said, you know, if you're in this business for fame and fortune, you are in the wrong business. However, if you're building it like a business, that's the only way it's ever going to pay you like a business, Mm -hmm. you know, and and like you said, just kind of jumping in there and, and focusing only on the artistry. Of course, that's a beautiful thing creatively. And, and, you know, you do have to feed that side of your career, but, um, the, the truth of the matter is, is that you have to treat it like a business and so much goes into a business. And often, uh, times we don't run a business with just one person, you know, we build a team and, and, um, and, you know, and we need, and we need to build out that, I, I hate to call it a customer base, but you know, our, our, our audience who becomes, you know, our, you, you treat your customer base great and they in turn will keep coming back, you know, and, and that's what we want. It's, it's just providing that, um, beautiful music and, uh, community and just, a you know, offering a genuine heart to people goes so far. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Sister. <laughs> All right. So, well, I, let's go back in time and talk about how you got started and, um, you, were you coming from a musical family and, and how did that, um, how did you get started in the Mickey Mouse club too? So yes, my family was um, the type of family who were never in the church pews. We were always in the choirs and the musicals. So at Christmas, there were no McGills in the pews. We were all like doing something in the show, the show, (laughs) Uh, the church show. Um, And yes, my, my dad and my mother and my brother, like uh, my brother still, I mean, my dad, um, I guess if there were a choir where he lives, he lives in a very small town in Arkansas now and they don't have a choir, but he's probably one of the louder people in in the congregation. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he was always in the choir. My brother um, composes and is in many different um, choral groups and uh, shows. And uh, we all have a love for music. My mother was my first voice teacher um, and she uh, had a minor in music. And um, so yes, music was a big part of the house, but I was the center of the music discussions because I started so young mm-hmm. um, getting attention for uh, my, my type of singing. And I think the interesting thing was 
I was a belter and my mother wasn't a belter. And, you know, I, since this is an unstoppable singer show, I'm sure people know what belting is, but it was just, it's like, you're calling out on all these big, high melodic uh, phrases. And it, you know, it's, it was, I was a loud high singer and um, I, my mother and I didn't talk a lot about genre or, uh, vocal vocabulary, like soft palate and arpeggio. Like that mm-hmm. was not what we did. We would be like, okay, sing it big, breathe deep, wave your hands. Here's your hand motions. Here's your costume. Go have fun. Because I'd watched the Miss Texas pageant when I was seven and decided I wanted a crown like mm-hmm. Texas. And she sang that year, Stand By Your Man, which was a bigger kind of belty song. And um, we asked the local dance teacher, uh, how do you get into pageants? And she said, okay, I, you know, I can get you some contacts and I'll teach her a dance number for the show. I mean, for the competition. And my mother said, oh, that's okay. She'll sing a song because in our family, we thought that's kind of how it was. Everyone could sing. Like, it's just kind of how you do. Cause that mm-hmm. was our, that was our life. Um, and I think, you know, the dance teacher, according to my mother's story of this, you know, the dance teacher was like, okay, all right. <laughs> And, uh, and I won, I won the talent portion. I bo- I'm sure I botched everything else, but I absolutely won that little, that little crown for the talent portion at seven. And I was hooked. Literally, that was my sport. I called myself, well, I call myself from back in the day, a vocal gladiator, because I would just be the sweetest little kid. And then I would get on that stage and I would like bloody that stage and no one was allowed to win, but me. Yeah. And then as soon as I was finished with my number, I'd get off the stage and be like, thanks, you know, and <laughs> I left it all on the stage, but I was, I was competitive. And, um, but what's funny is I, my first show was in preschool. Um, I was Dorothy in the wizard of Oz. And I guess I'd memorized the kid's book version of the story. And so my, my pre-K teachers put a a show together and I was Dorothy. So my first show on stage with a song and everything was probably before I could really read, I I guess, I don't know, ever you learn to read. Um, so it was really interesting, like just knowing that like most of my life, I I mean, I don't remember almost at all a time that I wasn't doing a show. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my last pageant, when I was 10 years old, a children's agent was one of the judges and on a handshake with my mother, she represented me for basically my first audition, which was for the Mickey Mouse Club movie called Why Because We Like You. That's where I met on that final audition in LA. I mm-hmm. met Chase, uh, Chase and Hampton, and I met Tiffany Hale. Um, and they were auditioning for, I think, Lonnie and Annette. I think that's who they were they were looking at for that. And I did actually get the part of Doreen, uh, possibly Darlene, but I really wasn't old enough or tall enough yet. But Doreen, I, I've looked at pictures and I get it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get the face there. And um but the writer strike of the 80s, the late 80s happened and that movie got canceled almost right away. So I had already signed a contract with Disney and it was in a way trans transformed into going to the final auditions for the new Mickey Mouse Club in Orlando and mm-hmm. meeting Lindsay and Dee Dee and a whole bunch of people and, you know, seeing Chase again, etc. cetera. And um, yeah, that, I mean, I got it and it, 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 I didn't come from any um, pedigree of professionalism before mm-hmm. that was really me and my mom drilling these these competitive songs and presentations and then my dad and my brother supporting us you know mm-hmm. just supporting the situation you know showing up driving us places or you know like trying to make it as much of a family outing as we could um and so when I got on the show really for the first time I felt like I was with a, a, a fam a family mm-hmm. of children who were like-minded like we were all really good at stuff 
and it was a variety show. So there was so much of, um, of a learning curve for me. Um, I had no idea that I would be a good comedic actress. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had no idea that I'd be able to learn dance numbers that fast and that I would, you know, have a knack for uh, cover covering artists and songs and then even lip syncing them and, you know, sitting, sitting quietly in a chair with for costuming and hair and makeup and sitting quietly reading scripts and then memorizing and then re-memorizing and re-re-memorizing scripts, you know, and mm-hmm. everything that came into it, I was really excited for the knowledge and so my biggest memories of the show were about all the great production stuff we got to do i mean you name it we probably did it and this was all before melodyne and uh digital anything so we had to sing the note looks like we've frozen in time that is okay we'll wait till jennifer comes back uh while we're waiting for her though i just want to give a shout out to everybody there that's in the comments uh, who are singing jennifer's praises you guys are awesome thank you for being here and jennifer is back Thanks. So. yes so, sorry about that yeah. No, no problem. yeah so it was just it was an incredible time of, of learning for me because i'd never been involved in any kind of professional production like that and so mm-hmm. i spent the next years kind of taking myself to school you know yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, anything, anything and everything that you can do before digital media, anything came out, I feel like we did it and we did it really, really well. Um, so you had to be responsible for actually singing the notes correctly. And there was no flying in of choruses, like Mm -hmm. you had to sing it every time and layer every time. And if you needed a wispier voice, you had to layer in all those breathy vocals one at a time. And Mm -hmm. so arguably my favorite experiences on that show were in the recording studio carving out a song and making and making it work so i could go on and on i mean i'm sure you had questions but i loved my time on the show yeah how fun and what a, what a great place to grow up as a singer and to you know really like hone your craft there and you know to be in such a professional environment but um who were who was in the cast with you during that time and what what time period was this so in the very beginning with the pilot, um, we had most of the Mouseketeers who would go on to be in the season one original mm-hmm. Mouseketeer cast, including Chasen and uh, Tiffany, Brandy, Dee Dee, Albert, Diamond, Josh, Lindsay, Rocky. Um, I want to say they were all in the original. I believe Brayden was with us. We also had a young man named Sean Phelan, who is no Mm -hmm. longer with us. Um, And also we had, um, I can't believe I can't remember his name right now. Um, It starts with an R. Oh, he was in Menudo and like, what a fun guy. He was a little older and he was very tall, but um, so we had a few boys who did not stay for the season one, but that, I mean, again, it was just an incredible kind of first figuring out how we are as, as this kid group in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, and how we all work together as well as separately identifying our best talents and how to showcase them. And that was of course the job of our, of our team, our staff, our production crew and company um, 
to help guide us like that. And then when season one started, um, I don't think we added anyone new, but then shortly after, I believe in season two, you know, Kevin Osgood joined the cast. And then we had Mylin and we have Jason Minor, Matt Morris, Tasha Danner came in, Jason Carson. And then after that is Tara and Tony and Carrie Russell and JC Chazay, you know, uh, Rona Bennett, Nita Booth. Um, and you know, that was kind of the flavor for a while. And I'm, I apologize if I missed a person, but um, yeah, I'm, I am shocked at how well you remember all the names. <laughs> well, cause I was there for, the, for all of it. I was there for yeah. every season and, and there's only three of us who were present yeah. uh, through each, you know, through all the days of taping, I suppose, if you want to do it that way. And then, then what was really interesting was in season six, they brought in what I call the young batch. Um, because that was one of the first times that I wasn't um, the one of the youngest ones anymore was when mm. they brought in Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Nikki DeLoach, uh, Tate Lynch, whose actual name is Mark Lynch, and he's also no longer with us. Um, TJ Fantini. I think I said Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake. Um, and that cast, they were um, isolated from us for a week or two. I guess to get acclimated, I always thought that was kind of funny, but I, I also can appreciate that many of them were fans of the show mm -hmm. and they were considerably younger than us when they came on, you know, I was 15 years old, I think uh, I might've been 16 at that point. And, you know, Justin was probably 13 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, Brittany was definitely 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Nikki might've been the oldest in that group, like maybe 13 at that point. So they were, in kid years, that's really way younger between a 15, 16 year old and then a 12, 13 year old. Um, and they were tiny, just, you know, little kids. And um, I was already five, seven, like in eighth grade or whatever. So all these little kids. And um, I was very curious about them because every year that was part of my, my routine. My ritual was to kind of learn who's coming in. You know, it was very mm -hmm. exciting for me to, to have new brothers and sisters, if you will. And so I remember that I was, uh, walking into our school room or school facility and um, because part of our uh, part of the law is that you have to go to school let's say you need to go uh, a, a minimum of three hours a day like that's the required amount and so some of us sometimes a whole work day would be spent in school because they knew they'd have to take us out another day to go do an on-location video shoot mm. so bank hours past that three hours a day so that we could use some of those hours on the day ah, I see. Time for school. So I was going into the school facility for something and our principal, Chuck Yerger, who also is no longer with us, but he was such a huge part of our lives on the show, being our head teacher and principal of the, of our on-location school for most of our years there. Chuck was teaching them, uh, the new batch, uh, some of whatever they were learning uh, to all together in one classroom. And I had arrived just before the class started and I hadn't realized that I was about to like encroach in their time in the school because they had been separating us from this mm -hmm. point. And, I, and so I'm speaking with him about something and he goes, you're going to have to go because the kids are about to come in. And then they started coming in and he's like, okay, okay, we're going to do something. Hide behind the door, hide behind the door. <laughs> okay and so i hide behind the door and all the kids come in the new ones and i guess he makes some sort of little announcement or whatever and he's like and i have a surprise for you and so i come out from behind the door and a lot of them kind of go oh, you know because 
it's kind of the first revelation I had that a lot of them were fans of the show and they knew who I was already. And it was, it was very weird because now thinking about how most of them, you know, really have climbed up in the whole, you know, celebrity situation. There's, um, it's very funny to me that there was a time where they were just like, Oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. Um, but they were just so little and sweet. Um, and it was really cool to kind of meet them ahead of time like that. And I think every now and again, some of us would run into them accidentally, but there was this big showcase. Like we all gathered in the audience section of our, of our set and they put on a performance and it was, um, love can move mountains, which was a song that they filmed in that same way, the same arrangement and the choreography and everything. Um, it was kind of their debutante song, like kind of the coming out of here we are on the show mm-hmm. and that was their introduction group number. And that's how the company decided to introduce us to them was to like almost show, like kind of show them off and show what they can do. And yeah, me, I just would have gone about it differently. I would have wanted to know them as humans first versus um, I guess the show pony version of who they were. Right. But of course, over time you get, you, you get to know them, you know, uh, because we were all, again, they were part of my family. So, um, you know, it was, it's a little surreal to kind of think about how even in season, even in season six, there's this whole new group that came on, you know, and then season seven, we didn't have um, new additions, but we did have return cast members Hmm. in Chase and Tiffany. They got to come back from their party days and they got to be our co-hosts on the show. And so Mm -hmm. it was really cool to kind of get back into doing comedic bits and things with them. Yeah. Um, that was really, really cool. And for them to interact with, you know, these, these young Mouseketeers um, and really see, you know, how the show has evolved, you know, when, when they were away, you know, in the group. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just really interesting dynamics to the whole thing. No season was alike. And I was there for all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible journey. And, and I bet, you know, being a young person on that show and just kind of, really initially kicking off your professional career, you, you probably don't even realize it in the moment, but having a role like that on TV was wildly inspiring to generations of singers who, you know, saw you there on the show and thought, I want to do that. Yeah. You know, you inspire like a whole, you, you drop that seed in the mind of a child and, and give them that belief. Cause when they see someone, you know, like them, like their age uh, and, you know, there was such a, you know, um, you know, variety of the cast. I mean, it definitely, you know, inspired me and in sh- shows like it as well. You know, now, now that, you know, we're grown adults now uh, yeah. looking back, that's gotta be really um, just satisfying to know that you had that kind of influence on, you know, a whole generation of singers to come. It is very satisfying. It's hard to swallow because it's just strange to think that I made a deep impact on a generation when I was just trying to live my life and, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't have a concept of uh, long, the long game of what this can mean. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just excited to have this job and like to do all these fun things and live in a theme park kind of, you know, and, uh, and do what I loved and to learn. Cause I really did. I just, I was just so hungry for all the things that we did and I was so excited. And I'm one of the kids that would go home and we taped the show, um, at our house. And so when I would get off at like six o'clock, six 30, I'd come home and I'd watch that day's episode, you know, mm-hmm. like what happened. Cause there's plenty of stuff I'd read in the script that I had nothing to do with. And so I'd be like, oh, 
oh, I remember us reading that. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like I remember, oh, this is how it turned out. That's so crazy. Or, you know, I, I was also a fan of the show. But yeah, it's it's really, really cool. Like I would have wanted that for myself. Like had I not been on the show, which I, I don't understand, you know, I, I don't have any concept of what life would be like without having been on that show. So it's it's hard to kind of have that that mental fork in the road. But knowing how much I I love what we did, mm-hmm. I I would have been in that same boat of wanting to learn the choreography and wanting to dress like us and yeah. wanting to learn the same songs, you know, and, and really diving into that as a career because being on the show really solidified that I wanted to do this type of stuff for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm even today with PCG artist development, I talk about how I had not found a, a, a way or an entity that educates and preps artists as thoroughly as my experience on that Mickey Mouse Club show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though I'm not an active uh, performer right now, I mean, I do it from time to time, but even though I've, I've pivoted and I'm really, really into nurturing and helping uh, other artists now, um, I, I still am very satisfied that I'm in the business and in a way making a similar impact mm-hmm. based on experiences, you know, because I was a kid, on a television show, going through homework and hormones and everything else that a kid has to deal with in their life, as well as having this very big standard of excellence, you know, through the Disney channel and this standard of professionalism, that is a lot to juggle and to handle as a young person. Mm -hmm. And when our clients come to us or the families come to us and say, well, my kid's 12 years old and they're dealing with X, Y, and Z, and it's a lot. And, you know, no one understands. Yeah. I say, I understand. Yeah. and what you're talking about. There is a way to manage your anxiety and manage your time and organize yourself. You have to look for your type A creative balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes something that is very hard to learn, but that's what we're here for. Um, mm-hmm. You live by example. And I do believe, you know, there are times, like I said, you know, everyone, especially during COVID, a lot of people kind of question their purpose and question like their choices and like their identity. Even I've gone through many seasons that I I'm open about, you know, just kind of my questioning, you know, what, what is it all for? What am I, you know, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? You know, am I, am I impacting, uh, am I contributing to society, whatever. And um, I look back on that show and I, every year I learn more about how it impacted people and how my involvement in it, you know, helps people. And, I'm very satisfied. Like, I feel like that, that is my legacy. If I did nothing else, you know, I won't be having children. And to me, this is a big, a big something that I can leave for all time because it's made so many people happy and it can continue to do that. You know, the, the whole goal of the show is to promote diversity and equality, um, behind the scenes, at least, you know, supporting identity, um, uh, supporting, uh, our differences uh, for sure on the show. Um, and I'm really, really grateful that I grew up in an environment like that. Yeah. That, um, I was taught way earlier than it was uh, politically cool to talk about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. A lot of these now hot button issues and kind of learning how to uh, stand up for, um, you know, civil rights and um, anti-bullying and, um supporting people in their journey on their own identity and like finding their own talents and, and uh, goals in life. And so, I mean, and, and when you look at us, like as a, as a Mouseketeer family, 
a lot of us, if not all of us, are in still that type of business, whether it is maybe in front of the camera, but the songs that we write and, you know, even, you know, you know, Nita is a real estate agent, but it's still about making dreams come true and connecting and, you know, facilitating. And, uh, you know, Rona is in, in Vogue, but she also has her, uh, I don't want to say it wrong, but her power university, I don't think I'm saying it right, but like she, you know, I think she's on a trip right now with her, her group and she's all about encouragement and empowerment and like making lives better and, you know, facilitating change. And so we're, we're doing that kind of stuff. And I believe that it's directly, through how we were impacted as young people on that show. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine if we were impacted, what our fans who like absorb the show in a very direct way mm-hmm. uh, have felt and how they've been changed through the years. So um, that show was a lot bigger than just a, a fun variety show. And I think mm-hmm. that it deserves as much credit as we can give it for its intention towards all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the show certainly grew up some really phenomenal human beings, including yourself. And I just, I stand behind your mission a million percent. And I'm so grateful that you'd come on tonight and chat with me. It was great to meet you virtually. Um, Love your vibe, love everything that you're doing. And um, I had posted all of your links in the chat. So where would you like singers to go to check out the work that you do? And what would you encourage them to check first? Cool. So I would say, um, I'll say this, that um, I'm not personally taking on new vocal clients now that I'm president of this arts development company. Uh, the only way to get to me as far as vocal coaching would be, uh, there are there is a link in my merch store. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for vocal coaching, um, there is a link to sign up to the subscription and get started with me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that note, PCG Artist Development, it's a preparatory company. Um, it's a company that uh, is an educational company. We don't take percentages of people's work. Uh, we help connect you with sessions and services, depending on if you're looking just to get trained in the mechanics of how to sing and how to how to do live show and how to play your instrument and how to songwrite. Or if you're ready for like, oh, I have my music and I'm ready to get it out there. Mm-hmm. We also have a, a branch called PCG Digital, which is all about competitive, like record label standard, digital marketing and promotions. You know, you were mm-hmm. talking about how do I get seen how do I get it out there? You know, so those are things that you can connect with me about. Like um, you can contact me through my website. You can direct message me from, I guess, you know, Facebook or Instagram, et cetera. If you have any questions like that. Um, so I mostly deal with Instagram. I repost from Instagram. Mm-hmm. I handle all my messaging from Instagram. I love Instagram. Um, I love Facebook and all great content on Instagram. You it's, do a great job with it. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I'm very visual. So it, I love Instagram and it's like, I have to be very limited in the followings because I, it's like, I follow two dog accounts. I could follow like 25 dog accounts. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be very careful because you start scrolling and then you've been scrolling for an hour, but um, yeah. I'm really proud of our clients and I try to repost about them. I'm also very proud of our show and our Mouseketeer family. And I try to repost like you, like you said about, about what we're doing there. So um yeah, I would say right now, I, I would love for you to buy my stickers. I would love for you to check out PCG online. Um, and you can always, you know, contact me through my website just to give words of encouragement or questions. There's always opportunity to re- request songs for the next virtual concert. And um, I am active on Facebook. It's just, you know, all my posts come through Instagram. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I, I would love to connect and I would love to 
like, like, you know, about me now, everything I do is about helping other people now. So, or inspiring them, I guess as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just check out, check out my, I mean, my website has all the stuff. It's got YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and um, my link tree, which is the whole link in bio situation. Like that has my sticker link, which maybe you've already posted here, Danielle. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like it's all there. And last but not least, I'm just putting it out there because I have to get it done. I have to start it slash get it done. I will be writing a book. Oh, nice. It, yes. It will Wonderful. be autobiographical, but also um, speaking to the parent and the artist um, mm-hmm. in the development stages and, you know, through anecdotes and, you know, my own experiences kind of speak to those people, but also someone who's a fan of, you know, my journey and my career will, of course, download a lot of autobiographical, you know, little nuggets um, about how I've lived through this business and, you know, what I've taken away and how I can impart more, uh, I would say, takeaways for others. So that is in the works. Excellent. There is no, there's no date or anything yet, but just follow me, follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career.